Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Um, I'm trying something new this week, Ian. Positive mindset, positive thinking, positive mindset. Nothing is getting me down. I've had a, a lovely week. Uh, it's been a, a seemingly long week, but obviously for the next few weeks, we've got quite a few short weeks coming up. Um, I'm manifesting leads to be better. So that is obviously going to come true on Sunday. Uh, it's going to result in us staying up in the Premier League and it's going to be a fantastic year. I feel like you've been reading like a mindset book or something. Is that, what's that guy, Tony, something, the really lanky giant guy with giantism. Have you been reading his uh, positive mind or uh, what's the other one? Oprah Winfrey's Believe It or some shit like that, where basically the, the secret, is that right? It's what it's called. And it's basically, if you, if you will it, it will happen. So, I'll be honest, I'm just smashing Molly at the moment. I'm just very, very <laughs> high. I, uh, <laughs> if, if it happens and it, I manifest myself into a good mood, then clearly that's the way to go. And that's what everyone should do listen to this podcast. Enough negativity. Leeds are staying up. Liverpool are not going to reach Europe. It's all positive news. Well, you've, you, your, your luck has seemingly changed at Paul this week. You've beat me exactly. twice. I mean, you're still down on the overall school cards. It should be pointed out, but um, gave me a bit of a not quite the thrash. And I gave you a four nil last week, I think, when we did it. But I did take a four one hammering from you today, didn't I? So uh, you've got something to be a bit more positive going into the weekend. Um, we, I mean, we'll come on to it. Results this week, midweek, obviously two sets of uh, footy to talk about, but couldn't have been worse, I think, for Leeds overall. So um, I think you've got. I like the I like the new positive approach. It's the best way to go because what will be will be. I say this: if we get relegated, I'm going straight off the edge of a cliff. And it could be worse. You could have a crack in your flooring. So um, <laughs> uh, look at it. Look at look at life. See, take a take a step back from a viewpoint. It could could be worse. Let's swiftly move on uh, from that. Uh, Pavlovich has set a new UFC record. Um, it was a very impressive fight night for him, uh, obviously against Curtis Blades. Uh, did you catch it all, or what was left uh, of it? Only that, only that fight. Uh, again, it wasn't a card. I'll be honest. That um, seemingly busy week, uh, especially with the footy midweek. Um, didn't really have time to catch any of the other fights. Um, new record for Pavlovich: six first round finishes in a row, which is pretty impressive uh i mean i can remember i think calling out to you not that long ago that i'd seen someone um refer to him as the white inganu which i think i at the time uh said was quite ridiculous but uh as each fight goes by um i become more and more impressed and that man has got some ferocious ferocious power because curtis blades is another one i i, I sadly hear myself Sometimes when we try, again, I'm a big um, proponent, aren't I, of self-improvement. Sometimes listening back to the uh, podcast and seeing where we, I use the word gatekeeper nearly as much as I used to say casual fans, which I think, to be fair, I haven't said for quite a few episodes now. You haven't, you haven't. Blades is the ultimate gatekeeper in terms of beats the majority of people always falls to a top five, you know, super, I mean, a very, very high collegiate wrestler. It was, that was, I think, the the angle that they were trying to sell the fight is how is someone as ferocious as Pavlich going to deal with a wrestler that good? I'll tell you how, don't let him get your hands on him and knock him the fuck out. 
Um, so that brings you to the question then, which is I will pose to you. I'm sure you and our listeners know my response to this, but do you think he could take John Jones? Ooh, he is, and correct for wrong here, has he now moved up to number two in the rankings? Is he just behind um, Gain? Correct. Um, I am not sure. I think his record is obviously very good in terms of his, his KOs and first round KOs specifically. I think you would be talking prematurely about whether he can take out John Jones at this stage. He's certainly going that way, and he certainly proved himself in what's been put in front of him, and you can only beat what's been put in front of you. But in the same way that we had a discussion, and I'm going to flip this slightly and for once take the pragmatic approach, we discussed Arnold Allen and uh, Holloway quite recently. We did. Um, Allen had... Uh, the one of the longest streaks in the UFC of victories looked very, very impressive. The argument that you put forward is the people that he fought, whereas obviously I said you can only beat what's in front of you, but the people he fought weren't of the highest ilk, and obviously Holloway is a step above. And I think that's what you're going to see at this point in time. I think, yes, he's maybe very impressive. Um, he's, he's taken out a number of big names to, to Visa. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, out, but... all, all kind of lower five heavyweight, yeah. really. You're right. He hasn't fought any sort of what I would personally refer to as elite level. Uh, one interesting thing, which I didn't know, and I, I'm not even sure that this was uh, in the mainstream media and more of an unknown thing that I read this week, interestingly, was Cormier was talking about him. So he used to train at Cormier's gym, I think, at AKA. He was actually the backup fighter for Jones Garnet. And, you know, they're obviously for, for, for big fights, yeah. it's quite often known. We know uh, Colby was the case for uh, the event we went to see of, of Edward Usman. But I think they kept that one in the background on the down low. So he's taken a nice couple of paydays because he got paid for making weight, didn't need to fight. He then fought, obviously, smash blades in a round, got a, a bonus, performance bonus, uh, knockout of the night as well, so an extra 50k. So he's taken a few nice paydays. And what Cormier was saying is, it definitely looks like Jones Stipe is the next big one. And Jones is, is almost seems quite adamant that Stipe is the only person he wants to fight, given Stipe has the most heavyweight defences. So I think Jones looking at his legacy, which I can understand, and Cormier's argument was, right, Pavlich, get ready, get yourself as the backup. Something happens to one of Jones or Stipe close to the fight, step in on that. If he beats Stipe, he makes himself a very clear cut. Let's say Jones did fall out. He makes himself a very clear number one contender then to fight Jones next. If Stipe did fall out, bang, he gets his opportunity for the title against Jones. And I thought that was very... uh, a very sensible idea, but he does feel like he's at that point now where we've seen it before. Where I, I, I don't like it when fighters get a bit we talked about above their station and they start then saying, I'm not going to fight anyone but the title. You know, he hasn't fought his record whilst impressive doesn't justify that yet for me, but he's definitely positioned himself for me. Probably if Jones takes out Stipe, as we suspect, and it's supposedly still hasn't been confirmed yet, but still for July, then he would be the obvious next one. But Jones is quite clever in that who he picks. Again, we've talked about his fight IQ. You know, does Jones at that point say, I've just beaten the best heavyweight ever. I'm out, done, retire before he has to take on Pavlovich. But Pavlovich does, 
an interesting puzzle into John Jones's um, skill set, I would say. It's a weird division is heavyweight as well in comparison to some of the others in uh, the UFC because that there's probably about three or four big names or um, the, the more known names, I suppose. And then you go through the rest of the list of the rankings and no disrespect for people sort of ranked five downwards and maybe even ranked four downwards because I think Curtis Blades is number four. But they're not really names that you would think would trouble Jones. So anyone that Pavlovich has fought previously hasn't really reached that sort of level where you would start thinking, hang on a minute, I could see him be champion. I mean, you look through the list. Volkov uh, is number seven. Aspinall's number five. Obviously, he's been out of the game for a bit. Derek Lewis, 11. You can go through it all and there's no he, one. I mean, he beat Lewis. So he beat Lewis. Yeah. Already. As you say, I think Ty Tovaisa, who you mentioned, is in the top 15. He's number six. Yeah. Six, so he's beaten him. So, I mean, as you say, he's not been fighting clowns the last few fights by any stretch. But, um, I mean, the other argument would be if it's not Joan Stipe and he wants to stay active, who else do you give him? There's, you know, there's, I mean, Aspinall, that, I'll be honest with you, that would make a fucking decent fight night for the uh, London event because no took, took little damage um, and that, that would be a big one. Um, no, the, they won't, they won't, I don't think that. they'd. I don't think they'd put him onto a, another fight night. I think he's at the stage now, Pavlovich, where they want to put him on a numbered event. I could see him um, maybe later in the year, um, sort of 290 or somewhere around there, uh, 291 roughly. But I can see him making the, the numbered events now. Yeah, yeah uh, you, you're not wrong. But uh, we know, we've, we've said that obviously the fight night needs probably, Aspinall is probably the only English fighter that could headline it that might be fit and available. He is relatively high ranked and might be one of the more higher ranked in the heavyweights that Pavlovich hasn't fought. I think to some degree it takes on Pavlovich's view, does he want a quick turnaround and another win and maybe look to carry on that streak against a, a pretty dangerous uh, stand-up opponent or does he take the more, sometimes the manager or have a word in his ear and take take the more sense, look, wait, sit out, you're probably, you would be the obvious choice for the next fight after Joan Stipe hang on a bit, get a bit more training in, get a bit of recovery in, hold you, hold on and wait off. So I think in some ways it depends on how active he wants to remain and the 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 shining light of someone of, of that elk that you could never take away from him. He had plenty of losses in his career, but the most UFC fights ever, if I'm not mistaken, is Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I, mean, I still don't think anyone's beat his record, which was either five or six fights in a year. That motherfucker would beat someone and be like, bang, two months later, I'm in. So if Pavlovich took a, a similar approach to that, Aspinall headlining that uh, London card would make a lot of sense to me. The other option would be to sit out, be the backup for Jones, uh, Stipe, um, and or then take on the winner uh, of that for the title. Well, Pavlovich, I'm just looking through his um, record and, and through his stats. Weirdly, so if he knocks you out, he's going to knock you out in the first round. So he's got 15 wins by knockout and 15 first-round finishes. He has won 18 fights in his entire career. He's lost one. Do you know who he's lost against? No, I feel like I should. Was it not his UFC debut? He uh, lost against Alistair Overeem in right. 2018. And, um, and that was... That, I mean, in some ways, that's. I mean, he's obviously grown a lot as a fighter by then. But in 2018, that wasn't Uberim. 
That was long after Usada had come in. That wasn't when Overeem was the wrecking machine that he was when he beat Brock Lesnar for the title. So um, that makes you have some doubts. I'll tell you the one that's a, a shame. I mean, I know he's out and he would have been the, the, the champ anyway, but the one I would love to see just from ferocious knockout, him in Garnu. That would be the one. Yeah, what happened? I, I mean, we still haven't heard anything really um, firm about what Angano's doing next, whether it's going to be boxing or which obviously looks the more likely or whether he goes to a different promotion, but it, it's gone a bit quiet. From what I understand, uh, MMA-wise, he was asking almost too much money. So I think he was in discussion with, obviously, the next sort of two-tier down, uh, if you like. That I, I don't think he's a big enough name for one to go out and splash. Obviously, one, are very dominant in the Asian market and, 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 and do pick up some of the UFC free. Uh, you know, Mighty Mouse, prime example, went there. Um, but um, I think he was in talks with the... Uh, PFL or IPF as it is now sorry um, whatever fighters league and Bellator and one of them had said he was asking for a lot of dough so I I still think boxing would be the most obvious one and I'll be honest I'm surprised I thought we talked about this I thought he was the obvious choice for Tyson Fury after Fury bottled it with, with Usyk and now obviously it looks like it might be Ruiz but I thought that would be Pretty easy fight for Fury, given that it would be Nganu's boxing debut. But Nganu would have made millions off that, and I, yeah. I, I that that's where I thought it was going to go. But you're right; it has gone very quiet, and he's probably sat there, if I'm honest, to some degree, thinking, "Fuck, what have I done have here? I, have, yeah. I, have I fucked up here uh, in, my, in my negotiations with Dana um, in in that respect?" Well, there's a lot of people that we thought he might be going into boxing against if he were going to go down that route that are essentially out of play at this moment in time. So if rumours to believe Joshua has ended up fighting White in the summer uh, and is then going to go on and fight Wilder in December and the talks are ongoing for that, um, which would put all three of those out of, of commission. I can't see Wilder wanting to fight um, Nganu in the summer as a, a warm-up for Joshua. Uh, Fury, if he's fighting Ruiz, maybe waits until the end of the year to fight Nganu, but that would essentially take him out of the, the title picture and what the WBC would do with that, you know, it's anyone's guess. Um, Joe Joyce is completely gone now. I think most people have disregarded him, so I can't see it being him. Dubois, no, no, because he's going to fight Usyk next, so that takes Usyk out. So there's loads of sort of variations that have have essentially been closed off to him. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're spot on and he sat at home thinking, yeah, I might have made a mistake here. I might have to go back and sort of beg uh, Dana to, to do something here. I think Dana had said, well, before they came out and said he won't come back, he's not coming back. He kind of overplayed that hand, I think, too hot, too much. So Dana very rarely backs down, as we've seen in the past with people like Paul Daly, who have, you know, once they fucking, they've, they've lost their chips in that respect. It's a hot, long way back. He's not the most forgiving i think we could probably say of promoters dana in that respect the only other one and i'm even we definitely discussed this before and i think it was your call which would be an obvious one that would be a nice setup fight i think chisora Chisora, because he's going to walk forward onto the bombs chisora again is coming to the end of his career want a nice payday um and probably wouldn't care if he got flatlined and (laughs) if i was in garnu that would be a from a matchup point of view, taking on a first person, but someone who's got a name 
to some degree and who's fought good people, that would be a pretty favourable matchup for Ngani. But so if the, if the boxing thing is to have to come to fruition, that one wouldn't surprise me at all. Both European, obviously, Ngani being French by way of Cameroon, English, they could probably sell that out in a, in a Wembley, um, something like that. Um, they could probably do a big event in France where Ngannou, uh, as you say, is kind of his adopted homeland. Um, so, yeah, but it, I think his, his his options are considerably more limited than when he left. And I think he had the feeling the world is my oyster. I can fight anyone I want. I can go anywhere I want. And I think you're right. He's, in my view, anyway, he's probably sat at home thinking, I probably fucked up here. Because he would have got millions for him, John Jones. As much as people say it wouldn't be as much as maybe some of the big boxing events, he was the champ. He would have got his money. He would have got pay-per-view points on that. And that's going to go fucking big on the pay-per-view. So he would have undoubtedly made millions if he'd stayed in Fort Jones. Would you fight him in the middle of a street? So let's say you got really pissed one night and you were strolling down and you saw Nganu and thought, you know what, attack this guy. I'll swing at him. Well, I know that obviously, as we discussed in last week's episode, how massive and swole I'm looking at the moment. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I'd like to think I've got half a brain as well as my bulky physique. Uh, I would not pick a fight with a professional street fighter. I don't know. Someone like Nate Diaz, for example, <laughs> who is going to fuck you up. And I don't know what goes through these people's minds that, I'll be honest with you, I love these type of things in that video because I always say to you when we're at work and on the podcast, like there's there's ramifications in life. There is consequences. And if you're going to start running your mouth and being a prick to a professional fighter, you are fucking asking to get choked out. And let's be fair, could have been way worse for him because he could have got the fuck beaten out of him. Diaz did what you'd almost call the honourable thing, if you like, which is choked him out, just left him on the floor. Didn't beat him up, didn't kick him while he's down, didn't do any of that. And now this guy is doing the really pussy move, which is I'll start a fight and then I'll file charges to try and get millions. So uh, I did see the latest update on that is uh, Diaz was released on a bond. So like, um, I forget what they call bail. That would be the effective term, I think, we'd use in England, but um, had been released... Uh, on that, and there's going to be charges against him. But what a ridiculous decision to make to have a street fight with a pro street fighter. I've had this chat with you. I've had this chat with a few of my other mates on the side. I don't believe that that guy didn't know who Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz was. Sorry, I think Nate Diaz is a big name. Like I don't, I know he doesn't look crazy ripped. You know, he doesn't have that kind of frame as an Inganu that you think fucking hell, look at the size of this guy, but. I personally don't believe most people, and particularly this guy was supposed to have been at some event that Diaz was at. He knows who the fuck he is. That's a fucking dangerous game to play. And I'd, I'd personally say, if you're talking about professional fighters, getting locked in a gear scene like he did and choked out and just left on the floor could be a hell of a lot worse than that. There's a, a podcast called The Writer Versus The Fighter. It's, it's quite a good post- uh, podcast, actually, if you, you haven't listened to it, and it's it's well worth a listen. But uh, MMA, uh, MMAfighting.com, I think, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, so the former UFC veteran, I think he's in BKFC at the moment, Mike Perry was on it um, quite recently. And I think he's actually is on it to promote his uh, upcoming... Bare-knuckle uh, boxing against Luke Rockhold. Correct, yeah, at BKFC 41. 
Um, so he was on it and they actually asked him about this. And he essentially came out and said, well, some people see these fighters in real life and they see them the ones that watch on TV. And he doesn't know if he, they just think, you know, I'm going to test myself or they want to be rude or what and try to get really confident in front of, you know, maybe some girl that they're with or et cetera, et cetera. And then they go, oh, you know that fighter? Well, watch this. And then try to be disrespectful. And he actually came out and essentially said, oh, this is, is Mike Perry, um, we're fighters. <laughs> we sell fights. We literally get paid to get angry at people who think that they can beef with us on a one-to-one matchup. So he completely understands the um, mindset that Nate Diaz and essentially just said, if that happened to me, I'd do exactly the same. I'll tell you what, Mike Perry is not a man to be fought with. He would not have choked him out. He would have been throwing bombs and <laughs> lift that motherfucker's face up and KO'd him. Because, as you say, he may have had holes in his game and been cut from the UFC, but he is a very dangerous striker with heavy, heavy hands. Uh, I mean, another famous one, if you haven't seen it, I'll send you the link because it's always worth a watch. Is a famous one guy, a professional kickboxer who transitioned into MMA, not overly successfully, I think, in... Uh, some of the lower promotions called Joe Schilling, who's actually ironically part of like Diaz's crew. He trains with Diaz. And some guy ran his mouth in front of him. And there's a, a famous video of that on Twitter. You could Google it now, I'm sure, while we're talking. And the guy says something to him. He walks up, bang, one hit, completely floors this guy, absolutely lays him out. And you're like, he would be a lesser name. Again, not a frightening looking guy. But you, what on earth are you doing? You're right, people get overconfident, a few fucking beers down the neck and suddenly think they can take on the world. But someone like a Joe Schilling, to me, is a little bit more, you might not know who he is if you're not a fan. Someone, you know, you'd have probably have to be a pretty hardcore fan to know who he is. So it's more understandable someone run the mouth off and before they know it, they're getting laid out. I I think the majority of the the public know who Nate Diaz is myself. Maybe, maybe I've got a skewed view of things given my love for fighting and things UFC related but I think the guy got again with the only thing I'd say we always talk about context we've we only saw that snippet so we don't know the build-up now was Diaz just completely out of order just ran up and grabbed him he got a temper on him we certainly know that but he's the type of person that wouldn't probably go looking for fights but if you're going to fucking give him some shit he's not going to take it and he's going to fucking finish it so I'd like to know more, and I'm sure as the things unfold, this has only happened this week, there'll be more context to what actually led to that. But what I did see is I think what originally started it is the event that they were at, Diaz threw a bottle. Did you see that? So Diaz was in the crowd of, might have, it wasn't Tank Gas uh, fight, was it? And he yeah. threw a bottle um, at somebody in the crowd. And I'm not sure if it was this guy, and that's what escalated it, etc. But I'd be interested to know the context, what led to that, because we have only seen the snippet of Diaz choking him out. But I've got no sympathy, if I'm on, I'm totally honest with you. You pick on a professional fighter. If you're not a professional fighter, you're running a fucking dangerous game. Well, there was a video that went viral in uh, the UK quite recently. Or I say quite recently, last year. And it was um, uh, Julius Francis, who... Yeah, well, he's now a, he's a bouncer, isn't he? And he can yeah. that out, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... It's the old adage, isn't it? It's chat shit, get banged. Yeah, and, and hey, again, maybe people not as, as super boxing fans. Julius Francis is getting on a bit. He's probably late 40s, maybe even 50s in a bat. But again, who pick, who get, if you run shit to bouncers, they've almost got a license to be able to fucking get away with that. It's and 58, the type of people, is Julius is he, Francis. 
Yeah. So, so, so I mean, he's getting on a bit, but I mean, that was an absolute one punch KO when that guy just got folded, you know, bang out. And that that was a lot worse than what Diaz did because that guy could have smashed his. The problem you get with those with those ones, as much as I like seeing people get what's coming to them, you flatline someone in the street, they go back and hit their head on the concrete. You can genuinely kill people, and there's genuinely plenty of times from street fights, unprofessional fighters have punched someone out, and the guy's died. So you run a risk, and that's why I say I think it could have personally been a lot worse for the guy that Diaz did the choking someone out and just dropping them on the floor is a, a far more um, decent, if I can describe it in those terms, way of dealing with that situation. But back to my point, because I've got to be consistent, there's consequences to life. And sadly, you get some muppet like that rather than realise, yeah, I was running my mouth, I was being a prick, I got what coming to me. Consequences are, it could be assault. And he think he now sees himself as a check rather than making couple of hundred quid as a fucking lookalike of a YouTuber, he can get a few million off Nate Diaz for an assault charge. So, again, Diaz is probably... Diaz should know better in some ways, equally to that. If you're going to get suckered into that shit, then there's potential ramifications as well on his side. I think you've got to be fair and, and give that argument. I can't just say, sit here and say, I totally agree with him doing what he did. There's going to be consequences to that, but that's why that context matters. I mean, it's it's worse for you, isn't it? Because, and obviously we're pushing ahead of ourselves in terms of what we're talking about here and, and this particular spot that we're talking about, but it puts something that you're very much looking forward to in doubt, doesn't it? Because if, if obviously Diaz gets charged, then it's not fighting Jake Paul anymore. Well, didn't I did read, I don't, you might confirm, because I know you're a massive fan of pussy boxes uh, or fake boxes. <laughs> did, did I not read that KSI is now on... Backup duties, standby. If, <laughs> standby duties. If Diaz has legal issues that stops him from the fight with Paul, is what I pretend. If that's been confirmed or not, I don't know. Yeah, it were on Twitter. So basically, one of these where it always is on social media these days, where he's basically said, "If it doesn't happen, I'll be the backup." To which Jake Paul said, "Yes." What that means legally is literally nothing. So there's no contracts in place, as far as I'm aware. It's just a quick chat on Twitter to build up some more hype. Um, I mean, one of the funniest things that Diaz said is um, that he actually wants it to be uh, a 12-round fight instead of the eight-round fight that um, Jake Paul has been having recently. So, I mean... Diaz, as I say, always super fit. Him and his brother run, like, train triathlons. That, that, their durability and, and um, ability to fight late into fights has never been in question. So, it's... For him, as I say, I'll be honest with you, there's a big size difference. I've said that. I think it's a dangerous fight for Diaz because Diaz is a a voluminous puncher as opposed to a a knockout eyes. If he's going to win, it's going to either be, in my opinion, Paul getting beat up and getting so many punches that he sits on his stall and doesn't come out of the corner or the towel comes in, or he'll take it on points. So I, I would actually say, again, from Diaz's point of view, as the smaller man, I don't see there being a huge chance of a knockout, if I'm honest, but from Diaz on Paul as much as... But you could equally argue, just on the flip side, Anderson Silva was probably a better boxer and fought at bigger weights than Diaz did, which is why I think it's a dangerous fight for, for Diaz. But um, you know with Diaz, he's going to bring it. He's not. He trains hard. He doesn't sleep on people. I get the feeling probably Anderson Silva, a lot later in his career, a lot older, probably took it, a little bit lightly that fight maybe so um 
but yeah, I'll be I'll be really gutted personally because as much as I hate and I've said I hate this shit, I'm a massive massive Nate Diaz fan, and again, who doesn't want to see Jake Paul get his face beaten off? We've seen it before, and he lost to a. Uh, Love Island contestant, um, and now he's going <laughs> to lose to hopefully uh, uh, a former MMA fighter. So um, for me, hopefully Nate does that, and I, I still personally can't see the way that Nate doesn't end up back in the UFC on a one fight deal for the Connor, Connor trilogy, particularly if Connor loses to Chandler, because there's not many places that Connor can go then. Realistically, even being the star that he is, and but everyone would still want to see that trilogy at one apiece. So I think if Nate plays his cards right and doesn't piss Dana off and stays on the right side of him, um, Dana would definitely give him a one fight deal. And that, that fight will fucking sell millions. Agreed. Um, just before we get onto the bonus segment, I just wanted to quickly speak to you about um, one of the greatest promotions I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, I mentioned it very briefly to you today, and this is LFC. Uh, what did you think it was? Uh, I thought it was the Legacy Fighting Championships, which is a very small promotion in uh, America. It is not. It is actually the Lingerie Fighting Championship. Uh, the tagline of which, I've just had a look at it, is a little bit of MMA, a little bit of wrestling, and a little bit of clothing. Uh, this is essentially an all-women's promotion, as you would suggest, um, where essentially... <laughs> They will get into lingerie and they will fight each other. Um, I'm having a look at briefly at the rules. And the, the reason that, just to sort of put it out there, I haven't been sat at home watching this like some weird, pervy, just... Wanking yourself. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We've been fighting in lingerie. What did you do this weekend? Gave myself uh, an aneurysm, wanking over uh, someone fighting someone. Um, it's got a very weird rule set. And I'll send a video, I'll put it on his, his Twitter page as well, if it don't get taken down, because the last time we ironically put some gash up on um, the, the Twitter page, it was taken down on it, the, the cut to somebody's head. Um, it's weird in that lingerie is compulsory, obviously. Uh, it's three rounds, lasts three minutes in length. Fights can be ended by knockout or submission, or go to, to judge's decision, as you would expect. But there's one main rule that's different to regular MMA. And again, I'm quoting this. You cannot strike the opponent in the face while standing to preserve the beauty of the fighter's face. Can ground and pound. So as long as you've got them on the floor, you can smash the face in. But if you're standing up, that's you know that's out of order. I mean, what seems the weirdest thing to me about this when we had, we had a brief discussion when you did mention it to me today is given, and I'm definitely not jumping on this ridiculously woke train that we're on today, I'm surprised that they can actually get away with that because it comes across as pretty sexist. Let's just put two women in lingerie. Let's be perfectly honest about it. Women fighting in the UFC, in professional MMA anyway, aren't exactly wearing a lot of clothes. They're effectively <laughs> wearing a sports bra and shorts, which is not a great deal more, I'm sure, than lingerie. Um, and they're actually there to fight. So it's one of those ones that, they seem to be probably jumping on pervy men who like fighting like us, but also want to see some attractive women. But I'm equally surprised that like a woman's rights activist group or someone hasn't jumped on this and said, you fucking sexist pigs. This is disgusting. I can't. So I, I'd be I'd like to see the longevity of the promotion would be my qu question. 
interesting point because this promotion has actually been around since 2006 when it was first established. So it's been a, a long time coming. The only reason that this has got sort of famous is it's been showing up on TikTok a lot more. Um, you remember when UFC used to name their events? So they used to give yeah. it like catchy names. So LFC still named their events. Let me run through the last few ones with you. Uh, the one that's upcoming on May the 20th, so obviously put that in your diary, it's called Harder and Faster. Uh, the last few ones have been called Booty Camp 4. We've obviously got Booty Camp 3, 2 and 1. You've they just got, sound like uh... names of shit pornos, <laughs> like from the 90s that you'd buy uh, in Blockbuster uh, on that ropey section. Um, that, that, but they they do... look like pornos as well. Like the, the posters literally look like pornos. So you've got like sexy, nerdy, inked and curvy, guilty pleasures, a midsummer's night's dream. <laughs> I can't believe it's been going since 2006. That's crazy. I mean, it's flown, how that's flown under my radar uh, for that many years, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's I, I can't believe it's been around that long. I thought this would be the type of thing, from what you were saying to me earlier, could see there'd be a couple of events. People would give them loads of shit and be how disgusting it is, blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, they just have to shut it down. But, um, well, May the 20th, consider it marked in the calendar. But it's... it's um my fiance's birthday so i've got to try <laughs> wrangle out of a birthday so i can watch lfc now well it's the day before my missus's birthday uh, it's the 19th so maybe I'll, we can save it up and we'll treat them both to lfc see if we get some tickets if it's local i'm sure they'd fucking love that as a birthday present i don't think you can use the term save it up when we're talking specifically about this topic but uh we'll get back onto proper proper conversation um so this is the bonner segment uh it's named after the the late stefan bonner this is the point in the show where we review and discuss some of the greatest and most memorable fights in mma history we give us listeners a little bit of fun homework or we normally do but ian's been a bit slack recently uh we'll post the fight to watch on our twitter page and uh, the following week we'll then run through it uh this week we went for Gagey and Poirier uh 2018 UFC on Fox 29. It was indeed uh, at the time uh close Gagey hadn't quite risen up the rankings as he as he now has. Uh Gagey was ranked number 6 and uh, Poirier was number 5 at the time they fought. So it was quite I think this was Gagey's third fight in the UFC if I'm not mistaken. He'd come immediately in again all action we have the rare privilege of being able to, again, for me as a as an MMA fan, being able to say we saw him live, obviously at uh, two eight six again and, and beat uh, Fizayev. So um, we we have that is always one in the bank for me. Like I get to also say I've seen uh, BJ Penn, you know, live. There's certain people that I think will go down as as, as people like that that you genuinely for, 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 for fight purists to say you've seen that person live is is a a, a real pleasure and was something I will always remember. And um, this fight was a barnstormer. So um, round one, Gagey, I don't think I can even remember example, known for leg kicks, uh, you know, ruthless leg kicks. And it's not even what he, it's special, is the inside leg kick. So that's for, for, for the casual fans. I'm going to sneak that one in because I haven't for a while. That's where you get kicked basically on the inside of your thigh. And it, they are incredibly debilitating in terms of taking them over and over again. They're harder to check in terms of where they're coming from. And particularly for certain stances. So someone like Poirier, who was can't really switch stances as much as some fighters who seem to do, he was getting smashed. So I counted it. 
Uh, Cormier says very early on in commentary that Gage is probably one of the best leg kickers ever. I certainly can't disagree from the fights, the many hundreds of fights I've watched. He lands eight inside leg kicks two minutes in. Poirier, to his credit, you can see it's bothering, but he's throwing punches back. They both start swinging, and actually, Poirier's jab starts to land and, and do some damage to Gagey's left eye. By the end of the first round, Gagey had landed 18 leg kicks, which is astonishing. And you could see the impact that this was having on the movement of Poirier, that very one sort of front foot heavy it was really bothering him. So, uh, but there were some big punches. It was definitely a close round. Personally, I scored it 10-9 Gagey. I don't think you're nodding there. What was your view, Daryl? Because uh, I don't think you did your homework this week, did you? Uh, I also thought that it was 10-9 Gagey. I actually thought it was 16 leg kicks landed, not 18. Uh, I think it was 16 is on my notes, which I think you're taking that number from. <laughs> from. Uh, I made that note about 30 seconds before the end. And then in the round, they said, I think it was 18. But um, So you yeah, can't count. I don't do took, my homework and you can't count. It took an absolute beating, his throat leg. And uh, um, so I gave that 10-9 Gagey. Round two, Gagey comes straight out. You can see he's, he was out. Uh, sort of up in the crowd early on, got off his stall very early, could feel that momentum was probably on his, his side. Uh, all of a sudden, there was an, an, uh, an eye poke from Gagey on Poirier. Uh, that, that sort of stopped the, the, the action for, for a minute or so. Herb Dean gets involved and has a word with him saying that, yeah, you, you're pouring, you're doing a bit of a John Jones kind of finger poking. Um, but then you see some good boxing from Poirier standing in the pocket and trading. It's one of those kind of often described as fighting in a phone booth, both really close together despite the size of the octagon. Um, but you can see Poirier is really struggling from the leg kicks, but landing some big combos. And again, it shows you what I've always said. gagey has got one of the most impressive chins, can take an absolute battering, uh, fought with an absolutely crazy pace and a very, very close round. And Gage actually even ends it as the whistle goes with some weird like front flip kick. I don't even know what it would even be technically called. I gave that 10-9 Poirier because I thought his boxing was was better overall. Uh, me too. I, I also <coughs> give it 10-9 Poirier because obviously I watched it. Um, round three, again, uh, Poirier's there. Uh, sorry, Gagey getting the crowd going. Can feel, even despite that fight, because it was a close round, he's up, he's ready to go. Starts off with a big couple of kicks. Poirier seems to, to not to be hurt enough to think, right, I'll take him down maybe. Maybe that's the way I can take some pressure off. And must be so demoralising the fight. It takes a really good takedown, but Gagey gets straight up. Um, some good, good good body shots then from Poirier. Uh, but we go back to those leg kicks again. Um, Gagey's leg at least just lighting up his legs. Um, both fighters, I think, is by this point starting to slow. You can see the pace slowing, that they've probably emptied the gas tanks a little bit because it was for, at such a frenetic pace. And they almost it got to the point where every kick that then Gagey land, you could see a visible grimace from Poirier in how much pain they were. Um, there is then uh, Poirier, uh, Gagey gets Poirier against the cage. Poirier looks hurt, there's some knees in there. Poirier gets a chance to kind of maybe catch his breath while he's defending. Um, and then there's another eye poke. So um, this is a bit more, again, probably a, you can never say deliberate, because I don't think someone like Gagey, that's in his locker. I don't think he's that much of a, a, a twat that would need to do that. 
but it's a pretty bad one. It's quite a long break here, which is not good for Poirier because you're giving someone of Gagey's output the chance to, to catch his breath again. But because it, it was two within the same round, um, Herb Dean actually takes a point. So uh, Doctor came to the ring to check it out. Uh, and then that was pretty much the end of the round. I had it as a 9-9 because it would have been a 10-9 gagey for me. But with a point deduction, I had it a 9-9, which puts it at 28-28 in my eyes going into the fourth. What did the judges have at odds going into the fourth? Um, we can come on to that because we've only got a, ra- a round shortly after. But I have got pictures because I was interested to look at the scorecards. So maybe we'll come on to that in a second, maybe. But um, round four, as soon as they come out, Poirier wobbles him, catches him with a really, really good, I think it was a hook, and he's wobbled. You can see proper chicken-legged uh, Gagey, which you rarely see from him, given the, the punishment that man can take. Um, and before you know it, he's got him against the cage, bangs him another really big hit, bang, done, KO from Poirier, and it's over. So um, it was, I had it tied on the scorecards before the, the finish. Um, interestingly, if I just bring it up here, so we had three uh, uh, judges. So we had Derek Cleary, like this man, exactly the same as me. 28-28 on the scorecards uh, at the point it was called. We have Dave Hagen uh, actually had it as 29-27 for Poirier, as did, uh, sorry, so he had, sorry, 29-27 for Poirier, which I'm at a bit of a loss of. Uh, final judge, who again can definitely give you some clownish decisions, is Sol D'Amato, who had it 29-26 because of the minus point. So he gave basically all of the rounds, that minus the point, to, to Gagey. So it was only one. Derek Cleary, I agreed with, had, had it the scoring exactly as I'd scored it in terms of rounds. The other two, I'm a little bit unsure what fight they were watching. I've just been watching, um, again, because obviously I did my homework and I'm not just doing it on the flyer. I've just watched the first round and I just watched the knockout. I would actually disagree with you. I think I'd have it Poirier who wins that first round. It was it's undoubtedly close. And if you look at the stats that they bring up in terms of the number of punches he landed and the damage, he, he clearly bloodies Gagey up. But I just thought Gagey had the, landed the, the more significant damage in those leg kicks. And you could see what he'd done. I mean, fuck knows what. Poirier probably would have been on crutches for weeks after that, the damage he took. But I, that was the one out of the rounds that I'm, I'm slagging the other two judges off. I could definitely say it was pretty close. I mean, yeah. they both gave, uh, all judges gave it the second round to Poirier, which uh, I said uh, I agreed with. Uh, and the third round, um, it seemed two of the judges gave it to Gage, uh, to Poirier. So then with the minus point from... Um, I was at a 10-8. So I was a 10-8, whereas that, that definitely for me was not the case. Um, that I, I out of the that one that was maybe the clearest, but the first two, they they were pretty close to be honest with you. But as you say, I, Derek Cleary had it spot on for me, exactly the same way that I scored it. Poirier is uh, is one of these fighters that always gets slept on. I know we discussed this earlier today as well before actually getting onto the pod, but he is always one of these who just goes under the radar a little bit. His resume and his record against the people he's fought is really impressive. He's taken out some big names. And you put him in with Gagey, 
who you've already said how exciting he is when uh, obviously we get to watch KJ, then a Barnstormer. I'm surprised we haven't seen a rematch. Um, yeah, I th- do you know what? Maybe there was. I think they have fought twice. Oh, there you go. There you uh, go, then. They have fought twice, I believe. And I think Poirier won it again, uh, if I'm honest That's with probably you. Probably why we haven't seen it again, then. <laughs> um, I could be wrong on that one, um, but I'm pretty sure they did fight again. Um, but um, because I have dropped the ball a little bit for you, I have got a, another fight for us for next week's uh, slot. So next week's slot, we're going back to also 2018 and um, UFC 225. And we're going for the middleweight uh, title fight of Whitaker versus Yoel Romero 2. OK, well, we'll look forward to that. Make sure you post that on Twitter. I've just checked as well because you, your knowledge is just getting worse. There's never been a rematch. Um, they've actually I'm been sticking. talking about it. They've been talking about it this year. Uh, Gagey said it's a no-brainer. He wants Dustin Poirier next. Right. Well, I, I take it all back. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I thought they'd already run that one back. Um, I'm no, really so that's definitely one to uh, to keep your eye on. Positive mindset, Ian. So, regardless of the fact that I didn't manage to watch my team beat a relegation rival and potentially move a little bit further away and make it a little bit more comfortable. Positive mindset means that Leeds will beat Bournemouth on Sunday. Um, wasn't cracking against Leicester. Willie Nonto seems to have disappeared from Leeds United. Can't understand why. And hopefully you can explain that for me. Um, but I'm not giving up hope because I'm a positive person now. Um, I'd love to know what's going on. And I mean, Brasilia started well, obviously got a fair few points and it looked quite positive. Some of his decisions recently, just the baffling. And, you know, I'm not a Leeds fan and I'm a, I'm a monster Nonto advocate. I think the guy, I can't spell his name, but I, can, I think <laughs> um, it, it, he is, every time I've seen him play for Leeds, and as I say, I've been watching a few more games recently because of the plight you're in. You know, we tend to, but watch, I think you probably are quite good as well in that you watch Liverpool games so that we can have a bit more of a, a discussion and uh, as well, probably more than you ever would before. And whenever he's come on or played, he has an immediate impact. You know, he's powerful. He's built like a tank. He runs at people with pace. He causes problems. I've made my feelings pretty clear about Jack Harrison. Sinistera, I would be playing all day long. And for me, during the the, 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 the Leicester game, sadly, Sinistera obviously scores, gets injured, comes off. Perfect opportunity. Right, bring Willie on. Put him on. Bang. Doesn't. And... I can only I speculate here, obviously, on my part, but given how probably the rest, certainly the Leeds fans I know, are all, as well as yourself, huge Nonto fans, no one can understand it. So I can only say that has something gone on in the background or does Gracia just not rate him for is some reason? Willie slipping his Willie to Gracia's missus? Is it the fact that Willie's supposedly got such a big dong that he's made Phil Garcia feel completely inadequate and won't play him because of that reason? But something's gone on in it. There's, there's clearly yeah. something that doesn't make much sense to a particularly a non-Leeds fan for your, one of your, your most dangerous... I think I, I genuinely think he's been your best player this season to some degree. He's, he's, the, he's the most dangerous player, without a question. Sinistera could have been that, but he, he's made out of glass and he's out for the season now. It's a perfect opportunity. He has to play him on Sunday. To not have put him on at any point in that Leicester City game 
is negligent. It's the sort of thing that if you were a solicitor, you'd be struck off for. It is absolutely ridiculous. And and I've obviously probably made myself look like a bit of a dick in me hyping up uh, Jorginho Ruta. And I still think he is a very good player. And I still think he will be a good player. If Leeds get relegated, it'll be for someone else. But he's not even playing him. So what what is going on? Signing of the transfer window, one here in your eyes, and has got still going for it ever since. But uh, again, another one that you would think, particularly with how Harrison maybe's form, to be fair to him, is, is picked up in terms of Aronson. Aronson yeah. is the worst one. He's been awful. Um, it it makes it makes no sense. And as you say, Nonto for me, every time I've seen him play, I'm I'm super impressed with him. Um, Really good attitude, very dangerous, very pacey. He has that directness to him. You know, it reminds me of Diaz when we first got Diaz, that he was a breath of fresh air and just caused chaos. You could see people physically like, fuck, how do I deal with this guy? Because he's so powerful. He's going to run at you. He's not going to try and be particularly clever. He's probably going to knock it past you and just burn you for pace. But in the match now, as, as we'll come on to how the results panned out, he has to play now that you broke down whilst we were playing Paul to your knees that Sinistera is now out for the season earlier. He's has to play him. He just has to play him against Bournemouth. In We said the match against Leicester was your biggest game of the season. I don't think it was a disaster, personally. What was a disaster was Patrick Bamford shanking it over, oh. shanking it wide from a yard out, which would have given you the win. And I'm sure your new ridiculously positive mindset would have been even more. You would have been flying high as a kite this week. If Bamford had stuck that in and you'd beat me twice at pool, I'd have been, you'd have been as smug as fucking they come. So, Do you, do you know why you missed it, Ian? Because he's shit. No, it's because the way that this world works, it's trying to bring on some more excitement to, to my life. And that excitement is at the expense of a relegation battle. So all this is doing is just making sure that it's a little bit more dramatic until eventually Leeds are safe, Leeds are fine. Two games left of the season will be sorted and we won't be going down. I st- I've, I've said it, I'll say it again. I still think Leeds will be fine. I think the midweek fixture that Bournemouth won is a very good thing for you because I feel that they are... Obviously, Bournemouth is where I grew up. I've got a soft spot for Bournemouth, so I've wanted them to stay up. But I feel that they are probably safe now with 36 points. I think that, And I think that's the best thing for Leeds. Had Bournemouth been in need of a result when you play them at the weekend, then um, it could have been different. And I, I wouldn't quite say they'll be on the beach. They obviously took a hiding last time out at home to relegation rivals West Ham. So you can get at them. But I personally think that was the best result. I mean, you, you'd mute to me that would you prefer to draw? Um, but yeah. I, I said to you, I, I personally thought a Bournemouth win, which put them safe, would actually be better for you. And um, the only issue you've got is we, we discussed it today. Bournemouth and Leeds isn't a rivalry as such. I'm sure, in fact, Leeds think nothing of Bournemouth like that. People in Bournemouth fucking hate Leeds. Because of a time back in the 80s, he came down for a cup match, if I'm not mistaken, and smashed the joint up, but the fans went on a rampage. So it, it is... was, um, it were what a cup match it was in the old uh, second division. I can't remember what we called it at the time. I think it was literally called the second division. And it basically got us promoted, that result. So we got promoted on that day, which is why loads uh, of Leeds fans went out and smashed the beaches up. Yeah. 
But Bournemouth's a great place to get pissed if you're an away fan, you know, particularly in the summer months, you know, nice beach, you've got a few good bars. But yeah, I, I've grown up remembering the hatred when I would go to, um, I can't even remember what Bournemouth's ground was called when I used to go as a kid before it got changed. Um, Cherry, something fucking, I can't even remember what it was called. Cause it was on a, it's on a, it's next to an athletic ground called Kings Park, uh, Kings Park which is like a, got a athletic sort of amateur athletic stadium. Uh, and I forget what it used to be called, uh, if I'm honest. When I used to go a few times when I was uh, younger. But I don't think that hatred translates through to the, the team. So I don't think Bournemouth will be, we've got to beat Leeds. We've got, but the fans will be racious there in terms of getting behind the team because of the dislike of Leeds, which goes back all of those years. So, But does immediately, uh, sadly, again, become, uh, this is, for me, a must-win game for Leeds. I think you lose this or a draw, you're in real trouble. Agreed. It would Dean Court. Um, they're all Dean Court, good shout. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think if Leeds win, it, and this is how fickle everything is, Leeds win, Leeds fans start thinking, hang on a minute, we're almost there. 33 points. You probably need a, a win, obviously, then makes you survive because 36 almost certainly stay, it keeps you up. Um there's an argument that maybe 34, 35, depending on other clubs who look like they're in dire straits. The moment you look at Everton getting thrashed last night, um, it was 5-1 before a, a late VAR call turned it to uh, 4-1. Southampton are down for me. Uh, I think that result from Bourne, against Bournemouth last night relegates them. I can't see them coming back. The six points adrift um, at this point in time from safety. And obviously with only five games left, you can't see them turn it around. Still think Forest go down. Still think Forrester in big trouble. Obviously, a massive result for them against Brighton, but their remaining fixtures are the hardest of the lot. I think it comes down a three-way battle between Leeds, Everton, and Leicester for that final spot. And I, I would, I'm going to back Everton to go down. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. They haven't got the greatest run in. Um, the worry you could argue for me when we were talking about against them, we had a quick look at the fixtures. Is I can definitely see you beating Bournemouth. I think that you could get that and that gives you that boost. You've then got a couple of tough games, haven't you? You've got City and Newcastle. Even easier. Now, both, to be fair, as much as they're both probably par Villa, the two most on-form teams in the league, you'd probably argue, or certainly I'd argue at the moment, um, they both have clangers in them, games where they they can drop points. So it would not be completely out of the realms of possibility to get a point or something or, or put off something there. The big one for me where it really goes down to is your final game of the season, home to Spurs. Spurs are very Spursy. Spurs are obviously struggling at the moment, um, but turning a two-goal round uh, loss or uh, losing to Man U last night suddenly still puts them back in that chance of Europe. So whether that is a big issue, if they're already out of the European places by that point and they can't get into Europe with a with a with a result and the on, on the beach uh, as as the phrase often says I, I I fancy your chances if they need to win to get into Europe that's a that's not a good position for Leeds to be in on that final game of the season you want to be safe before then I think if we're not safe before that final game and as I say I think Leeds will be safe before then I think they will get something from either Newcastle or Manchester City he says Laughing to himself. Newcastle would be the one, I think. The way City are playing at the moment, they always have that ability to drop the ball, but they seem to have this uncanny relentlessness at the end of the season when they need to, when they turn it on, as we're seeing at the moment. I mean, 
I wasn't watching the Arsenal match, so I've only seen, to be honest, the highlights because it clashed with Liverpool-West Ham, which I was watching, so I didn't watch them. But from everything I read, the highlights I saw, they looked like they played them off the park. The golfing class was was incredible, really. And this is rarely one where we both often have differing opinions, but all the way through, any of our listeners will be able to say from the very start of the season, we have always called that Arsenal would bottle it. And at one point, you and your supercomputer were giving Arsenal, a, or a supercomputer certainly was, giving Arsenal an almost unassailable uh, lead and that they were going to win it. Isn't it refreshing to see them bottle it in a Spurs-esque manner? I, I think City clinched it for me with that result. Two games in hand, two points off. I think it's done. I mean, this is what I'm saying to you about the positive mindset. We're right most of the time, clearly. We're, we're very knowledgeable about this shit. So that's why I'm saying Leeds will stay up. I can't really back you to get into Europe. I think that's probably out of the realms of possibility. You're talking sort of unrealistic at that stage. But, I mean, you might get your Thursday nights. So that'll be fun for you. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think even for me, with Newcastle doing as they are, a man you're getting a point fourth probably is is out of the question now. And the only way for me, and it is still a chance, and we've definitely picked up it's only the second time this season we've won three games in a row. We need to win every game the remainder of the season to have a chance for me. If we drop any more points, that's it. We There will be, because it's a Manchester, uh, which we can quickly come on to, uh, FA Cup final, um, that both of them will likely be in the top four, which means there'll be an extra place in the Europa for fifth and sixth. Woo. And I would be disappointed if Liverpool don't get that. But as I've made perfectly clear, I can't stand the Europa League and the Sun, uh, the the Thursday Sunday uh, game and the impact that has over your season is ridiculous. If it was then worse and we got seventh and we're in the Europa Conference League, I would rather not be in Europe at all than be in that ridiculous competition. I really want you to get seventh. I think a perfect end to the season would be for you to finish in the Conference League spot, for Leeds to survive and for City to win the, the league. Um, to see your face when Thursday nights came around and you're playing Limassol and you're playing uh, Sheriff Tiraspol and all this, it would be fantastic. It would be. Sheriff Tiraspol are usually in the Champions League, to be fair. They are often the champions of their own league. So uh, Apologies, they're not- better than you. I, they are better than us. And I read out to you some of the quality of calibre of teams that we were in the draw for the Conference this league. And I genuinely would rather not bother. I think it, for the, I hate not... It really. I know it's a really pathetic way to look at it. And again, you could argue, someone like a Leeds fan who hasn't been in Europe for a while, people would bite your hand off to be in Europe. But I, I hate not playing on the Saturday. It has a real... You get occasionally... Liverpool get often big sun... Sunday games in terms of, you know, against City, against Man U, you expect that. But every week or every other week, at least, when they're playing like that, I really hate it. There's just something about I, I miss incredibly about playing on a Saturday and it really fucks me off. And it takes me back to my childhood when Liverpool were not quite the force we were now and watching them play in the old uh, UEFA Cup on a Thursday and then having to wait to Sunday for them to play. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it'll be what it'll be. But I think unless we win, Diaz, he's been very gently 
ease back in by Klopp in the last three games he's played now. Hasn't really done anything, to be perfectly honest with you, in terms of those games yet. So he is, we're still waiting. Um, Cody is obviously now starting to look a bit more of a player and pick up. And we've got um, Mo back in form. Trent seems to be reveling in the new kind of what I'm going to call the Cancelo role of right back moving into midfield to, to allow him to utilise his passing as Cancelo was doing last season for City. So things are certainly looking up for us. Um, but I think even me being super optimistic, it's going to be difficult for, to get to the Champions League. I mean, we've gone over this a number of times, so we'll go over it again. But UEFA Cup, obviously it's Europa League now, UEFA Cup holds a special place in my heart because... One of the first games I went to as a kid, so I didn't go to that many as a really young kid. I think I was about eight, roughly. Um, or a little bit later than that, or earlier. Anyway, Leeds versus PSV Eindhoven, and it was the second leg. Um, it were in the uh, UEFA Cup. Leeds played them at Ellen Road. Got knocked out, so not not that much of a special place in a heart. I think we lost 1-0 in, on the night and 1-0 overall on aggregate, but... I still remember it, and I had one of those little, you know, badges that you can get from the uh, weird scarf sellers that look like they might put you in the back of a van. Yeah, well, sounds like a good childhood memory for you. But uh, the UEFA Cup doesn't quite hold <laughs> a loss. Memory, good memories for me. I used to watch them with my mate Garner. We'd often go around his house as a Liverpool fan. Uh, his old man, uh, rest in peace, Brian, um, was um, uh, I'd sit there drinking special brews. He'd give us a couple of fucking beers to watch it when we're like 14, 15. Um, and we'd watch us play some absolutely dog shit teams um, back in back in the day. So, it, you know, that, that was Owen, it was heyday. Uh, so Owen would often rip teams apart, these shitty teams apart. But yeah, it certainly doesn't um, hold great memories for me in my childhood. And so it's, it's, the, it's the impact on the season it has for me, particularly the conference. They actually say, I believe, as an English team, you lose money by being in it because you hardly get any revenue. You've got to fly to these crazy-ass places, you know, potentially in far blocks of Eastern Europe, and it has that impact on your season. So, um, it, not for me at all, and I would genuinely give it up to whoever wanted it if I had the chance and I was Liverpool. And it doesn't quite work that way, but do not... Europa League, if we had to, I suppose it's better than nothing, but the conference, that would be shambolic and and dis, almost disgusting for Liverpool to be in that, if you ask me. I'm asking you every single week, and I'm going to continue that pattern because obviously we're getting to crunch time in the season. Um, top four and title winners? City, easy. City, uh, City, Arsenal, Newcastle, very easy top three for me, the way that they're playing at the moment. I think that's how that finishes. Fourth, as much as I hate to say it, you'd probably say favours Man U. Uh, I don't, you know, Villa are looking dangerous and are looking good. Uh, but in the same way of Liverpool, I think they're just too many points behind to catch up. And particularly, you're looking for Man U and or Newcastle to basically have a woeful run and us win every game. I, I, I actually could see when you look at Liverpool's fixtures, it wouldn't be on their arms a possibility winning every game. Personally, the problem for me is I don't see the other two dropping those points for us to catch them up. So that's the problem for me. But so I'm going to go City, Arsenal, Newcastle, Man U as the top four. Do you want to give me a Europa League and Conference League prediction? 
I think after that, personally, it goes Liverpool Villa. Yeah, well, you think Brighton Liverpool. are going to drop off? Yeah, right. If they lost to Forest, they're seeming a bit shambolic there. Um, they could get seventh. So, sort of uh, seventh for me would be, be probably between them and Spurs. So, I think that'd be a good I, result for Brighton, to be honest, getting into any sort of Europe anyway. Totally agree. And for a team like Brighton, from where they've been and come from, they, they probably should be pretty happy with that as, as opposed to a miserable bastard like me. But I see Spurs being the ultimate losers uh, in that. And I think, Again. as I say, fifth, fifth and sixth would be Villa, Liverpool for me. Not necessarily in that order, but. Uh, interchangeable potentially. Um, Most importantly, relegation three. Saints, Forest, Everton. We actually seem to agree on everything. I, I don't, the only thing I don't agree with, I think Villa will fall out. I think Brighton will finish seventh. I think you're right about that. But I think Spurs and yourself will finish um, fifth and sixth. Another fantastic prediction by me. Spot Another on brilliant again. fight call. What's that, uh, 14 and naught or all, right, or something way, like that now? Way more than that. It's got to be close Sorry, to the 40 20. and naught. Oh, 40, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's got, you've literally got to be looking at staring down at least 20 wrong results in boxing. As I would have been said, relegated about three different leagues at this point. If I, I mean, I tell you what, I'm, I, I'm glad that if, I, what I'd love to know is if we had someone like our, Belgian fan, who's a massive advocate, uh, clearly, and we'll give another shout out to him. If he'd stuck a tenner on every prediction you'd had, how much in the hole someone would be by following your uh, your bet, uh, boxing bets? Because, um, and did it not go exactly yet again, as I called it? Uh, rounds, I didn't get right. Admittedly, I did say between, if it was going to be a care, it was going to be between nine and 12. I seem to recall it was a bit earlier than that, but tank check him out. Did I get the round right, funnily enough? Just uh, the wrong way around. Weirdly, no, you didn't on the podcast. I think you told me you did say that. And I think wasn't that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because I listened actually back to that podcast, you said in the later round, so I don't think you said that. What I have a feeling you may have done is said that to your mates on your WhatsApp group from memory from what you told me. And uh, your mate yeah. did the exact opposite of what you did, which was bet on Tank in the seventh, which obviously came in. Yeah, so basically, I've won him some money. I think yeah, is the that motherfucker uh... owes you fifty percent. <laughs> but yeah, it, it did go exactly as as predicted, or as most people predicted, other than myself, of course. Um, Tank, not necessarily a golfing class, but he clearly was the better fighter. Um, showed it. He's obviously got the additional power. I don't think Garcia. There's a lot of people saying Garcia's career's over. I've, I've never seen as stupid opinions of that. He's obviously very young. He'll come again. Um, I think he might move up in weight, so it'll be interesting to see what Garcia does next. Um, Tank Haney, maybe, next fight? Well, this is, we come back to, again, we don't want to reiterate, and, and particularly for our very avid 10 listeners, uh, the same again, but it's a, a crazy position, This the rankings of this division, in that you've got Shaka Stevenson, Stevenson, uh, Shaka Stevenson is um, number one, ranked anyway, by most of the uh, promotions, as far as I believe, certainly on Boxing Rec. I'm not in touch, you tend to find the, the different um, sanctioning bodies, they might be a bit interchangeable. You've then got, um, I think it was Tank second, did we say? There was, I forget who's third, and then you've got Haney fourth, who is the undisputed, with all belts in the division. So I forget who's number three, and that's bad on me. Um, but if 
the obvious one for me, if I'm Tank, I want Haney because I want the fucking four belts and I want to fight for the Undisputed. Haney's obviously got Lomachenko coming up, so that's already in uh, the books, I believe, um, in terms of uh, Zun already. I believe you told me earlier in the day, Stevenson, uh, or Shaka has come out and said, I'll take Tank, but I'm the A-side. I'm the number one. I guess he said, he, he said he's the air side. Yeah, he said to, that he said that Tank is the air side. Yeah. So right, wow, impressive. So he's actually kind of giving props to him. That's in, that's impressive. But that will be number one and two. But it just seems crazy in my mind, anyway, having the top two guys fight in a division for for, for no belt. And if I, I'm the boxer, I want the belts. I will put a spanner into the works on that. I think it will be for the belts. I think that fight will happen. But I think it will be for the belts because, and here's a big one for you. Haney beats Lomachenko. Haney decides that he's moving up to 140, drops all the belts, and then you fight for a new uh, one of whatever they decide to do. I always forget what they do in boxing, whether they drop it all and decide that the belts get distributed elsewhere. Um, But I think Davis and Stevenson, depending on when that fight takes place, will be for a belt if... Haney has already stepped up at that point. If you look at his uh, the weigh-ins for Haney and Loma, he doesn't look like he's very comfortable making this weight anymore. It's fucking huge. I mean, yeah. Haney's fucking huge. And, and, and it's actually a really good prediction. Uh, as far as I understand it, where you'd have... It makes a lot of sense, but what that would likely mean, and I could be wrong here, and again, I've been wrong already on this podcast that you proved me wrong, Um it would then depend on the different sanctioning bodies. And it's rare that you get the fact that they would all agree those two are one and two. So it, it, if that did happen, and let's say let's say your prediction is right and Haney vacates, I if I had to call it and I, as a suspicion from these type of things before, if you then had Davidson tank, that might be for, say, two or three of the belts. I don't think all four bodies would agree and say, right, we agree that that's the, they're, they're the two that should fight for the vacant belts. There'd be one, probably the IBF, who are fucking always ridiculous, and would say, no, we, they're not someone else. We give it to so-and-so as one of the mandatories. So that could be the spanner in the works in terms of that. But I think that's a pretty good prediction because Haney's a big boy uh, and does look like he struggles for the weight. And again, you could you could argue for me, he could go up a weight of cast again to 147, and then you're in with the big boys of Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think the way that it works in boxing is always nonsense, isn't it? But it's essentially, um, I'm just trying to look through the rankings now. That they're, they're so strange, um, the, the rankings and where they've placed Davis in some of them. Like he's second um, in the ring. Lightweight rankings, obviously the champion being Haney, Lomachenko is number one, uh, just underneath that. And then Garcia is number three, Stevenson's number five. It, it's it's all a bit dodgy. But yeah, I think it'll be probably WBC because the WBC is one of the more prestigious belts of the, uh, the four. And I think you'll be spot on and it'll be for one of them. And then you'll see that title. Yeah, I th- as I say, it might be more than that. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was maybe at least 50% of the, the belts, you know, two of the four maybe. But I would be very, very surprised if that happened. Now, one thing you've got to say, Haney is as much of an impressive boxer he is and big for his size. Loma is no fucking joke. And if Loma wins and takes those four belts and becomes undisputed, 
that becomes a very interesting fight for who he would then go for next, just to play out, you know, the two eventualities and rather, you know, I, I, I'm not sure he does. I'm a massive, massive Lomachenko fan. I, I, definitely the best footwork of any boxer I've ever seen in terms of that. I think Haney might be a step too far and he's bouncing up the weights, which I, again, I love that warrior spirit for someone like Lomachenko. He doesn't give a fuck. He'll fight who, you know, who's put in front of him. He's moving up quickly through the belts because he had such a long amateur career where I think he had over two or 300 amateur fights, obviously uh, double gold Olympic medalist. Um, I can't remember what weight it was, but significantly lower than uh, what he's fighting at in terms of uh, 135. Um, so he is an act, you know, he, you, he could just again keep going up and up. And I don't, I don't even think because of how good he is and probably the name that he's got a loss would necessarily derail him. You could throw him in easily against one of those other big fish uh, at lightweight that we've just talked about as well. And it would sell. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly interesting to see. It's one of those equations where, for once in boxing, the best are fighting the best. And as I say, whether Stevenson does get the Tank fight is, in all honesty, I think entirely up to Tank's promotion. I think Stevenson is with top rank. Um, I can't remember who Tank is with, but there's apparently a reluctance to put them in with Stevenson because obviously... He's making loads of money at the moment. Is Tank beating uh, the more Tank's well-known with, guys? Um, Mayweather, isn't he? I think Mayweather. Is he still? I think he may well be still part. I mean, it was called the Money Team at one point. Remember when you had um, Mayweather and Fifty Cent, and then that broke up. I have a feeling Tank is with uh, Mayweather as his promoter. As you say, I think you're right. Stevenson is with Top Rank and Bob Arum, the old. Crazy bastard that uh, uh, runs his top rank. Uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's he must be pushing on Don King age now. Yeah, he, he definitely is, isn't it? Um, but yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting to see what happens. And as I say, lightweight is one of the better divisions um, in boxing at the moment because the bigger fights seem to be happening. But um, I tell you, the... tell you one not to sleep on just before we move on on that. Just that again, we talk about and um, we, we we constantly rave about and could easily move up those couple of divisions to get there if he wanted. Uh, would be Inoue. He's, I think, a couple of divisions below that. And for me, he is like a Pacquiao-esque in terms of could just easily go up a huge number of weights and cause a lot of damage. So, I mean, Inoue Lomachenko, I would love to see. That would be uh, that would be up there on my like top three dream fights, if you could do at the moment, in terms of putting that together, depending what happens. And I think Inoue could easily go up two or three more weights and look as good as he is at the weight he's at. I think that's still a little bit of a step up. I don't disagree because Inoue is one of the, the best pound uh, found fighters that I've seen in a long time and he's always entertained to watch. And again, because of his, his weight class, which we've already discussed this, he does get slept on quite a lot because no one wants to see the, you know, quote unquote, lesser weight classes. But he is rightfully, as his nickname suggests, a monster. Ferocious power, easily top three, pound for pound for me, if you looked at it um, boxing-wise uh, at the moment. Just lays people out. Uh, as you say, the, the best equivalent I can give, I think, is May, uh, is, is Pacquiao. And again, I might be proved wrong, but I'm pretty sure Pacquiao ended up as an eight-division champion. That's how many weight classes he bounced up to. You know, he fought Mayweather at... Uh, 
uh, welter, so 147, he went up to there. I'm pretty sure he started at like 115, 120, and fought in, became a champ every weight class up, all the way up until there. So has a ridiculous amount. Just one of those people like that just has that as... I don't know who ever coined the phrase, whether it was Rogan or not, when he was talking about Connor, touch of death. That there's just certain people that they just, the, the, the power they have doesn't make sense. Connor doesn't make sense. Wilder in heavyweight boxing doesn't make sense. And Inoue is another one of those that just, you can't work quite fathom how he how he generates this power, but he just has something in him that if he touches your chin, it's good night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, as I say, we probably rave about Inoue more than most, um, especially because obviously we're fairly casual in terms of, of our fandom. But um, yeah, if you haven't seen Inoue, without going into too much detail, certainly watch some of his fights. Um, it, they're definitely worth watching. It's always entertaining to watch him. But good place to leave it there, I think. Um, Bank holiday weekend. I'm watching you down what appears to be a pint of mud. Um, so I, I'm quite jealous because I, I want to go get myself a drink. So Ginger ginger, ginger uh, ale and uh, rum for me uh, tonight. So a couple of more Disgusting. of them. Um, Mrs. is out for tea for one of her sister's uh, birthdays. So she'll probably be back shortly. So maybe a five guys as well. If I can treat myself for the... Fucking uh, hell. You can tell it's been paid here. Okay, <laughs> going out big. So, um, yeah, what about you? A couple of beverages? and uh, uh, Yeah, I'm probably going to have um, a few cans uh, and then sleep. It's a perfect night, really. Equally good plan. <laughs> As always, Ian, it's been a pleasure. And thanks very much for listening. All. We'll speak to you next week. Have a brilliant bank holiday weekend. <laughs>